0: Who was I? Who am I? Who am I going to be? And so far, uh, we've been working through one Ephesians, and we've seen that although we were in darkness, we were depraved and dead in our sins, through faith in Jesus, we have been put in Christ. And that's an amazing position to be in, because that means that we've been recreated, we've been born again, we've got a new disposition to righteousness and holiness. And this is our true position are standing before God. And we recognize that actually in our position there's still some stuff that needs to be worked out in our condition because there's still some stuff that God needs to do in our lives. But understanding our position is where we, where we start. It's really important to get a, a hold of that. We're not yet the finished article. We're still works in progress. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to catch up on the rest of the series, it's online, and you'd be well advised uh, to have a good listen, I think, because I think these are really important things that we're looking at. But what I want to look at today is what are the implications of our new position? I mean, what if we were to really get it? What difference should it make to our lives Who are we now in relationship to God? Because we're in his family, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. And this has been his plan all the way along. All the way along, it's been God's plan to give us this incredible privilege of status within his kingdom. Just turn to Ephesians chapter 1 for a minute, and we're going to just read a few verses from there. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. That's quite a long time ago. Before the creation of the world, he chose us to be in Christ to be holy and blameless in his sight in love because he loved us he predestined us he predecided us to be adopted as his sons as his children through jesus christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which is freely given us in the one he loves in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace. That verse there, he predestined us. He's always imagined, he's always wanted for each one of us becoming Christians to have that kind of relationship with him, to be adopted as his sons, as his children through Jesus Christ. And this is a place of incredible privilege. This is a place of incredible privilege. But we don't often act like sons. That's the reality. We don't often recognize the privilege that we have with God. I mean, think about it. How many arguments at home or church or work revolve around who is right or who is at fault? When my wife asked me earlier on in the week, why have you booked that thing in the diary? You know I'm out that week, that day. I told you last week. No, you didn't. Why is that my immediate response? (sighs) I don't know. I've been wrestling with that all week. I honestly can't remember her telling me, I've just got to tell you all, I just can't remember her telling me about that appointment, but there you go. But why is it, why is it so often that our instinctive response is to rush to defend ourselves, to argue back? And it's not just a man thing, before you ladies think that. (laughs) So is there anything in my position in God that should challenge that defensiveness? Or, put it another way, if you were late for work one day and somebody jokingly says, you're late, why do you still have to give an explanation so that you don't appear lazy or disorganized? The reality is that the root of your concern is that they might think badly of you. Is that right? Well, I've got to justify myself in some way. I've got to make them think that I'm not how I appear because I'm late today. And these are just small examples, really, but they are revealing. These sins revolve around being right and looking good. In other words, we are being self-righteous. But sons don't need to be self-righteous when in Christ we are already declared righteous. So we don't always get this we don't always get what it means to be sons as those illustrations show we we do, we don't need to defend ourselves actually we don't need to prove that we're right especially when we're trying to prove ourselves right to prove somebody else wrong we don't need to but we do we don't act like sons and sonships sonship is where we get to live out of the good of our position in christ This is where we start to get practical in the series. We're starting to talk about how does this affect how I live? This place of identity, this position that I now have. We who are now in relationship with God, how does this change the way that I live? Because we don't always live like sons, but revert to the slaves that we were without Christ. Are we slaves then... Or are we sons? I just want you to turn back a page to look at uh, Galatians, which is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29, and then chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. So it's a bit of a reading, but it's worth it, okay? So let's read that. Chapter 3, verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Shall I sit down? You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, who, uh, for all of you, were baptized into Christ Jesus. All of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children... We were in slavery under the basic principles of the world, but when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent forth his Spirit into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out from us, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. You are no longer slaves. You're a son, and also heirs of God. Let's just take this passage apart for the rest of our time together. First of all, we see that we were slaves. We were slaves. That's what Paul says. Slavery is where we come from. And we've looked at this in some detail already in the past couple of weeks. But the reality is is that we were dead, we were bound to sin, and the law, which in our depravity we just couldn't keep. We just cannot stay good. We just can't keep the rules. We were not free. Although some people think that they are. They say, I'm free because I do what I want to do. I do what I want I please myself, but they're not free, because actually what happens is that many people become enslaved. They become enslaved to addictions, to destructive habits or patterns of behaviour that compel them actually not into freedom, but into a place of more and more powerlessness. Why have we got such a problem with addictions in our society today? People say they're so free, they're so liberated, and yet they're addicted to the very things that they feel that they're free to do. How is that freedom? We were not free. In fact, we were in slavery, Paul says, under the basic principles of the world. Now, all that means is really, even the laws of religion, even the laws of government can't keep us from slavery because we cannot obey the law. We cannot obey the law, whether it's a religious law or a law that is put out by men. Because without Christ, we are either slaves to our own carnal desires or we're slave of men. That's where we're at without Christ. But in Christ, we are no longer slaves, but sons. Sons, Galatians three twenty six to 27 says, You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who are baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. I think clothed yourself with Christ is a really great picture of what it means to be in Christ. Actually, you put on Christ, you, you're clothed with him, you're clothed, clothed with his character, you're clothed with his righteousness, you're clothed with all his attributes, clothed in Christ. You are sons of God, that means literally we are offspring, we're God's offspring, we're sons and his daughters. We're born again, as we were seeing last time, but we're born again into the family of God by faith. I mean, what an amazing transaction. What an inheritance, making us the offspring of God. Not only making us the offspring of God, being born with that new nature, that new disposition, as we were seeing last time, we also get a new dad. I don't know, have you ever felt like you could do with a new dad? You know? New parentage, some of the things that we inherit, some of the problems, some of the dispositions. Well, that's what you get. You get a brand new start. You get a new dad. You get a new inheritance in Christ. You stop it, daughter, in the back row there. (laughs) That's a fantastic truth for us. New potential, because we've got new genes, (laughs) That's what it means to be a Christian. You want to get away from your old life? You don't want to go the same way that your mum and dad did. You get a new start, you're born again. I just feel like some people needed to hear that today. But you know, this parenting of God doesn't just stop at conception and birth. I mean, that is a problem today, isn't it? We notice how many men in particular are prepared to conceive babies, but they don't want to be fathers? And God isn't like that. God doesn't just give birth to us and then leave us. That would make us illegitimate, actually. When we're born of God, Paul says in verse 5, we receive the full rights of sons. And what that really means is that God takes full responsibility for us. Literally, it means that we are adopted heirs of God. We are adopted as his sons. We're chosen by him. We are adopted by him. And Martin Lloyd-Jones makes the point that this is deliberately a legal term that Paul is using here. Because what he's doing is speaking about a legal standing or status of rank, privilege, and position. This is the real deal. You are adopted by God. He takes responsibility for you. And we're not children of God we're not children in the sense of babies or infants. Deliberately, Paul says, we are sons of God because children had no rights in Roman law. Children had no rights. So Paul was very clear to use the legal term and then explain you're being adopted as full sons, full-blown kids, you know, with all the rights, as if you were grown-up sons of God. In the Roman situation, it didn't matter who they were or, 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 you know, what kind of parentage they had until they came of age, they had no say in anything. Or as Paul says, they were no different from slaves until they came of legal age. So even if they were king's children or in the master's house, even serving him, they would serve him, they would sort of come around him in Roman times, but they didn't have lunch with him they didn't have any relationship with him. They didn't sit at the table with him. And that's not God's, that's not the case with God's offspring. He says straight away I give birth to you and I give you full adoption rights, legal heirs. You can come and sit with me anytime. You can come into my presence anytime. You're a full son. Isn't that amazing? It's a place of incredible privilege in God. God has not only given us the right of sonship, but raised our status to that of legal heirs. God doesn't want us to be infants and babies in his kingdom, but he intends for us to be sons in relationship with him as father. And these sons of the king... Having that status, it means that they are also able to exercise power and authority in his name. So it's not only privilege, it's also position. Power and authority in his name. Did you realize that? Did you realize that as a son of God, you have the right to exercise power and authority in his name? You have the right to do that. You can pray in the name of Jesus with full rights as sons. In the name of Jesus and demons flee. (laughs) In the name of Jesus and the sick are healed. In the name of Jesus and situations change. You have the full right and full authority as sons to do that. That's what it says here. I wonder how often... When we worship and we're coming into the presence of God, we can do so boldly, knowing that we are welcomed into a place of privilege. I wonder how much it affects our thinking when we come to God. I wonder how often we take advantage of this privilege. How often do we use the privilege that we have with God? Do you know what? I can pray for you. I've got the ear of the king to your work colleague. I know God. I have that privilege. Yeah, I talk to him. I have a hotline to God because I'm a son of God. Did you think like that? Do you think like that? Do you have that sense? Are you aware of the favor that you have with God? I don't think we are. I think we forget. But I want to remind you today, this is a place of incredible position and privilege. I remember growing up and having a sort of awareness of a sense of privilege that I had with my own dad. You see, my dad, there's good and bad bits to this, but one of the good things of my dad being the headmaster of my school, there were many bad things, as I just said, but one of the many good things, I'm sure, was things like, at any time, I could go up and just hold his hand... At any time, I was only in infant school, so at any time I could just go up and say, Dad, I need a hug. Any time I wanted, I could go up and say, Dad, everybody else had to call him sir. You know, and if I'd forgotten my trip money, which happened most times, I'd just go up and say, Dad, I forgot my trip money. Or, Dad, I haven't got consent to go swimming. I had this privilege. And, you know, I could just go into his office All the other kids had to wait, but he was my dad. It's a place of incredible privilege and position. Of course, it wasn't all benefits, as I said. On the, I mean, on one occasion when I was naughty, and I know you find it hard to believe that I was ever naughty, I remember my dad menacingly speaking the dreaded words, you wait till we get home. But mostly, I lived in the good of this privilege. Do you? you with your father in heaven do you have that sense of privilege because that's what it means to be a son of God do you live like a son or a slave because the problem is we forget we've been slaves for many years for generations of humanness and it's hard to break away so easily Even as Christians, we return to slave-like behavior or thinking. Even though we're no longer slaves in name, we can remain slaves in nature or in certain areas of our lives. And often this is because there are strongholds in our thinking or there's been a lack of teaching or understanding. Like we were talking last week, the instruction manual of new birth. We didn't know it said that. (laughs) We didn't know that that's what it meant to be a Christian. I don't have to do that anymore. And we need to be taught again. We need to learn some more. But I just want to just give you some examples of the difference between Sonship and slavery. I'm just going to throw out a series of statements and scenarios to you and I want you to ask yourself this question as I go through and say, what kind of identity issues do I have at the moment? Right, have you got that question? What kind of identity issues might I have at the moment? How am I doing with this sonship? Okay, so here's the first one. Slavery Is about what you do sonship is about who you are slavery is about what you do sonship is about who you are and guys this is a really easy one to spot it comes out often when we introduce ourselves to one another I mean how often will we introduce ourselves with what we do rather than who we are hi I'm Rob I do this we talk about the role that we play in the church or the job that we do or the children that we have or how often do we evaluate ourselves on a performance basis my latest achievement or failures that's how we identify ourselves the salary I earn or the lack of it you know our self worth can be directly linked to these performance areas in our lives can't they? when we get a pay rise I feel so good (laughs) when I don't get the pay rise I feel rubbish and even when it comes to your own children it's how many have you got or what have they done to identify themselves how are they doing at school are they performing well what school do they go to which university are they up for or other measures of achievement rather than I'm just a proud dad and I love my kids. <laughs> Guys, we've got to be careful of that one. It's a solly hole problem, you know. Achievement, achievement, that's all that's important. Getting a good education. If this is the kind of identity issue that you have, then you're going to be more concerned about your role, your husband's role, your wife's role, or your family's role in life than about the fact that actually God loves me. You're going to be more concerned about those other things. So, for example, if you're a worship leader, you will only be as good as your last worship set. (laughs) If you're a preacher, your last sermon. If you're a teacher, the exam results that you got, the Ofsted report. And guys, I know I can be really vulnerable on this one. Performance. Did I do well? Was it good enough? That's slave thinking, not sonship. And it's this kind of identity mindset that can also make us slaves to the opinions of others. Always looking for approval. Very conscious about how others perceive you, particularly with authority figures or those that you might perceive to have influence or particular importance in your life. I remember hearing about P.J. Smythe, and he was sharing on one occasion, he's one of the big names, if you like, in South Africa, God using him amazingly. And he talked about the first few times he started to gather with some of the other international leaders and just feeling overwhelmed, saying, I'm in the same room as so-and-so. And And he said that in the end, the only way he could get through it wasn't to imagine them on the toilet, which I've used in the past, but he was much more holy than me, and he said he imagined Jesus next to him. So that that's probably a, a more spiritual one, but that's good, okay? Don't use the other one. I know the other one's the one that sticks in your mind, but just imagine Jesus beside you. You see, guys, sonship is nothing to do with role or performance. Sonship is your status and who you are, whether you do anything great or not. I'm still a son of God if I do a good preach, or if I do a really rubbish one. Okay? (laughs) Nothing changes. Which leads into the next identity model that you may have. Second one, then, is slavery is about doing right. Sonship is about being right. Doing right or being right. And, you know, this is a hard one to get hold of, actually. The, the reality of the truth of this, that the base of this, is it, if I do something wrong, if I do something sinful, if I really mess up, it doesn't change my status in the family. Ah, really? That's really what sonship's about. I really mess up, but I'm still a son of God. You know, I've got two children, and sometimes, I know it's really hard to believe, but sometimes my kids do things wrong. But you know, it doesn't mean that they're no longer my children. Although sometimes when they were little I'd come home to Alison after a hard day and a child would be thrust into my arms saying, your son or your daughter has done such and such. So it appears that there may be some kind of temporary disownership in family life. But that's all it is. The fact remains they are still our children whether they do good or they do bad. I've never said... Do you know, I have never said to my children, okay, Becky, I've told you three times now not to do that. You're out. Get out. Get out of this family. I've never said that, except for just then, when I was just using it as an illustration. She looked worried then. (laughs) Sorry, I was just joking. I've never said that. Three times and you're out. I've never said you're out of the family. You're no longer a Davy. Just can't bear to have you in the family anymore. Never said that. Why would God be any different? Why would God be any different? It's a slave mentality, you know, that's always looking over your shoulder. Fearful of punishment. So we cover things up. We hide things. You know, slaves are guilty Christians who struggle with condemnation and shame. Guilty Christian. They never have any fun. They never have any fun. There's no joy in being a Christian because they're never sure of their acceptance by God. Any minute they might lose their job. Any minute they might lose their place in the family of God. Any minute. What a sad, miserable place to be in. I'm a son. And whether I do good or do bad, I'm still a son, and God still loves me. Is that your version of identity? Are you a fearful, sad, or miserable Christian? I'm not going to look round at anybody now, just in case they're feeling a bit sad today. We know sons know that they're sons no matter what they do. There's, there's a boldness about sons to enter God's presence, even an audacity Secure in the acceptance of, of God's love for them. You know, when we have visitors and we have visitors quite often on our house, our children know that they can interrupt politely, but at any time. Their status trumps that of any visitors in the house. If there's a problem, if they need something, they're more important. They are the children in the house. They know their status as sons and there's nothing that can change it. You know, sons don't always get things right, but they know it's not all about performance because they're secure. They can boldly approach the throne of grace. That's what the Bible talks about. God sits on a throne, but it's a throne of grace in times of trouble and put things right quickly. They're not hiding around furtive and ashamed. And sons are in a two-way relationship with God. They're, They're able to both request and then accept forgiveness, which is guaranteed, and then move on. Are you a son or a slave? Now, what about that idea of friendship? Are you friendly with God? Because the next one is this. Slavery is about obeying, and sonship is about friendship. And let me just take you through this. You see, slaves don't have any choice or say in their lives. They have to do what the master commands or face the consequences, Slaves have got no part to play in the life of their master. Masters don't consult slaves or ask their opinions on things. Slaves are like just human machines whose role in life is just to keep the master happy. And you know, some Christians think that that's what our relationship with God should be like. There's a kind of a slavish obedience and a beating if you mess up, even even if that beating is one that you administer to yourself anybody <laughs> how many people beat themselves up slave that's what slaves do but jesus said john 15:14 you are my friends if you do what i command that's not conditional He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from my Father I've made known to you. Are you a friend of God? Are you friends with Jesus? So let's just talk about this. You're my friends if you do what I command. That's obedience. And of course, the reality is that we want to obey We're born again, okay? So there's been a change inside. I want to do what pleases God. But the fundamental difference between a slave and a friend is that slaves obey out of fear, whereas friends obey out of love. Do you know, I actually want to obey. And I'm sad when I mess up because I love Jesus and I want to please him. He says... If you love me, you'll do what I command. This is the motivation. I love Jesus, so I want to do what pleases him. Because I'm his son. And this thing about the master's business. You know, slaves don't know the master's business. They live in ignorance and blind obedience. But Jesus saw what the Father was doing and then did that. And we're called into the same relationship of openness with God. A place of friendship and real relationship. Places where friends of God are even seen to question God's decision or His wisdom in things. Did you realize that? That's the kind of friendship we're called into? That you can actually question God? Is that okay with you? God, I'm not happy about that. Is that okay to do that? Let me give you a couple of examples. Firstly, Abraham. He questioned God. Don't turn to it because of time, but in Genesis 18, it's the bit where God was about to destroy Sodom, and he visits Abraham, and the Bible records God's thoughts at the time, which I think are incredibly revealing. It says that the Lord says, Hmm, shall I hide this from Abraham, what I'm about to do? I mean, God sharing what he's thinking. Shall I hide it from him? Wow. And then it says that God shares the news with Abraham, and then Abraham's response is shocking. Abraham came to God and says, God, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people? Far be it from you to do such a thing. To kill the righteous with the wicked. Treating the righteous and the wicked of life. Far be it from you. <laughs> Were you not the judge of all the earth? Do what's right? Whoa. Far be it from you, God, to do that. Shall I share it with Abraham? No, better not. You might be angry. <laughs> you can almost hear that, can't you? Far be it from you. Not to do right. That's not... A relationship of a slave to God? That's a relationship of friends. Shall I share it with him? I wonder what Abraham thinks about this. Far be it from you, Lord. Don't do it. Don't lower your standards. Abraham, he questioned God. He said, are you sure? Hold on, Lord. There's some holes in your thinking here. (laughs) That's relationship. What about Moses? Moses... Exodus 32, God gets angry with his people and he says he's going to destroy them. And he offers them, he offers instead to make a great nation from Moses. He says, look, I'm fed up with these people. Moses, just you and me, right? We're good. But Moses says, oh Lord, no. No. Why should your anger burn against your people that you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, remember what the Egyptians will think, Lord. If you do this, the Egyptians will say, huh, well, it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them out from the face of the earth. Lord, come on, turn from your fierce anger. Relent, don't bring this disaster on your people. Ah, remember your servants, Lord. Abraham, remember Isaac and Israel. You swore, you said, I'm going to make a great nation of you. (laughs) Then the Lord relented, and he didn't bring the harm that he thought to bring against the people. Wow! What's your relationship like with God? Are you friends with God? Can you talk to Him like that? Is it okay to question Him? Is it okay, God, I'm really struggling. I don't understand. There's so much of this. Why? It's wrong, Lord. That's relationship. What kind of identity issues do you have? Are you a slave or a son? How are you relating to him? This talk is all about relating to God. What is the nature of your relationship with God? Are you a son or are you a slave? Now, if you're a slave in your thinking, you're going to be feeling pretty bad about this right now. You're going to be feeling oh, really messed up again. Oh, wish I'd heard this talk last week, you know? But if you're a son, there should be a healthy response, a kind of chuckle and, all right, sorry, Lord, I didn't get it. I'm so slow. (laughs) Thank you for reminding me. Do you see? Are you a son or a slave? Help me, Lord, to get this reality into my thick skull. (laughs) Yeah? That's where I'm at. I'm still struggling with some of this stuff. The reality is that we struggle with this and we easily slip back into a slave-like mentality. I just want to say to you, if you're aware of any particular area as we've been going through this list, if we could put the list up again, if you're aware of any particular area that you know, wow, I'm really struggling with this, it's the performance one for me. (laughs) I I was saying to Alison, you wouldn't believe what I've had to pray through this week. (coughs) Especially after I messed up on the arrangements earlier on. But you know, if you're aware of any particular issue, just repent and say, Lord, I'm sorry, I didn't get it. I want to be a son again. Just deal with it and let's move on. We need to align ourselves with the truth of who we are, not with how we feel.